0: Osiris. this podcast is in the loop the legion of osiris podcasts osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love get in the loop at osirispod.com this is richard lloyd and you're listening to the rock and roll archaeology project DIY and Howe Studios presents Deeper Digs in Rock Part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project Music Culture Technology And Rock and Roll Now,
1: on with the show Hello, diggers. Welcome to another edition of Deeper Digs in Rock. Christian Swain here. I am the rock and roll archaeologist, and I'm behind the mic in Hollywood today at Aftermaster Studios. If you haven't heard, I want to let you all know we are now a part of Pantheon Media. The show and all of the fantastic podcasts exploring the age of rock and roll are now a part of this and will be brought to you by Pantheon from now on. And uh, keep an ear open because in just a few weeks, we will be launching a couple of new awesome shows for you. Something for everyone here uh, at our new home, Pantheon Media. You can now find all the info, show notes, and what have you uh, at pantheonpodcasts.com. So that's the new website, pantheonpodcasts.com. Finally, and of course, this is the one that really matters to most of us. If you enjoy what we do here, then please tell a friend about Rock and Roll Archaeology, Deeper Digs in Rock, The Muses, The Rock and Roll Librarian, Real Rock, all your favorite shows. All right, thank you. That takes care of the housekeeping. So let's meet our guest today.
0: Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. You know I need someone. younger so much younger than today i never needed anybody's help in So, uh,
1: there are 50-plus years in actual rock and roll history. We can split it in decades pretty easily, uh, with a little overlap. Obviously, categorizing by genre is a way to go, and you can feel fairly confident in winning an argument that way. Uh, But can you point to one year as the single greatest in pop rock history? Uh, And if so, uh, what is that year? You got one? Most might suggest it depends on who you ask, uh, how old the person you ask is, uh, where they grew up, um, what they were exposed to as teens. Uh, There's a, a lot of criteria. But if you were going to narrow it down to a few and academically look at it without bias, 1965 would be a serious contender. If rock and roll's birth date is 1955, with Rock Around the Clock as the first number one single, by 1965, rock and roll has become a matured art form, with the Beatles as King of the New Mountain. Uh, it, it may be the year where everything comes together for the next several decades. Uh, a nexus point. That is is the premise from our guest today, Andrew Grant Jackson, who wrote the book, Putting the Line in the Sand, 1965, The Most Revolutionary Year, published by our friends at Thomas Dunn Books. So, without further ado, here is Andrew Grant Jackson. Welcome to Deeper Digs in and Rock, Andrew Grant Jackson. How are you doing today? Good. So, good. Uh, okay. First question: How do you got three presidents, or at least two and a half, in your name?
2: Yeah, you know, um, now when my folks, na- I was born in '69, and the, the funny thing is, Andrew Jackson, at the time, my dad was a liberal guy, and he was known as being the working man's, you know, the guy who helped give the voting powers to the working you know guy but it was right around then that much more awareness of Native Americans started to come to the forefront you know if it had been like three years later or four years when uh, Marlon Brando had you know the, the the woman take his Oscar you know and speak about Wong Knee, maybe my dad wouldn't have named me Andrew Jackson because I mean <laughs> he had the trail of tears and all this oh you know, yeah bad stuff so
1: yeah I, I uh, you know different times and all I get that um you know uh that uh, Jackson was a bit of a populist as well yeah, maybe yeah. not good times today yeah, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah i don't like
2: his picture being in Trump's <laughs> office yeah yeah. yeah
1: yeah well at least it's evened out with uh with Ulysses S Grant yeah. uh you know who definitely uh had a lot to do with uh ending the civil war and freeing the uh the african americans who were then slaves
2: that that's yeah that's obviously Fantastically, he, he was very his administration was very corrupt which oh, unfortunately has yes. like another
1: <laughs> correlation today you know probably. have you thought of a name change <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> you know I, I stuck the grant in there because if people had when i was trying to sell books people had googled andrew jackson i would never come up you know because oh be you under, know
1: way down yeah you would be way down the list so yeah, yeah. maybe
2: i should well now it's too late
1: but <laughs> i just wait for
2: this whole Administration blow over.
1: <laughs> yes, well, well, we're all waiting. So, so, all right, all right. So, hey, so much to unpack here in this interview. Um, the the book is really so dense and hitting as many spokes uh, on the wheel of popular music and culture of the time. Um, it's almost uh, a reference book, uh, and we've used it several times in our podcast series, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the Main Narrative uh, Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast. Okay, um, so uh, let's let you lay it out quickly. Why 1965? Why do you think that will be remembered as the most revolutionary year in music?
2: Well, you know, later years, 67, 68, you know, they definitely sound more radical. You know, if you take, you know— uh, Sergeant Pepper and played next to the birds, <laughs> a heart full of soul, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I would argue that—
1: I mean, as far I, as impact, uh, cultural relevance, sure, I, I see what you mean.
2: But yeah, I think this was the moment when the the bomb was starting, you know, like the ignition point of the bomb— blowing up you know Mm -hmm. I use the metaphor in the book of the cocoon that's in black and white and then this is the moment when the The, the technicolor butterfly butterfly starts cracking out yeah because I think you know there's forces in society like uh, in technology and pharmacology you know you had like tv spreading ideas and the pill and LSD and then civil rights in Vietnam I think those were changing the masses heads making them want more personal freedom and then The artists were the the one—the recording artists were the ones who were most uh, directly expressing that. And so they—not only through the lyrics, you know, the crazy lyrics that Bob Dylan started to write and others— Yeah,
1: surreal lyrics, yeah. Surreal
2: Mm. lyrics Mm. and then new sounds. They were, you know, the English— Art students were taking the 50s rock and, you know, mutating. British invasion, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Creating new genres, folk and rock mixing together, you know, psychedelia is starting when they start playing with the sitar and feedback and distortion.
1: So, yes, the book seems to make a a similar argument that is our mission statement of trying to prove that the music of the latter half of the 20th century was a convergence of music, culture, and technology, and... um, uh, we think that uh, the further we get away from this moment, the more uh, important and influential it becomes in, you know, the history of mankind. Uh, an art movement, um, but on par to something like the Italian Renaissance, uh, I would say. Would you agree with that?
2: Definitely. And, you know, there was even, I, I'm not speaking to the Italian Renaissance per se, but in terms of its Importance beyond even just uh music and art, Andrew Young, one of the uh the civil rights leaders who yeah. worked alongside mm-hmm. Martin Luther King, said that he felt that um in terms of uh creating the uh, conditions for integration that music was possibly even is more potent than the church you know in the sense that it
1: oh you, you, you could uh, spread the message uh quicker right yeah yeah
2: I guess you have all these uh you know, black artists, you know, their wonderful music's going into all these white people's heads. It's probably becomes harder to just, you know, either not think about it or think they're, you know, have racism in your
1: head. You know right, I mean? you know? right, right. It does break down uh, a, a lot of barriers uh, and did uh, certainly at the time. And I think that's why we're still talking about it today. All right. So <clears throat> tell us about yourself, Andrew. You know, how did how did you get into this uh, this idea that you would write uh, books on uh, on music?
2: Well, you know, I, uh, my dad played, he first was a, Abbey Road, and then Sgt. Pepper, and then High Tides and Green Grass by the Stones, and uh, um, Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume Two. You know, my mom was playing Simon and Garfunkel, and then I was growing up in high, a lot
1: of music in the house. A lot
2: of music, you know, '60s music. And um, but when I was growing up in the '80s, uh, well, I was not cool, you know, in high school, and I alienated against my uh, peers, and we were all playing synth pop, or you know. Uh, you know, uh, just that's the the 80s sound of the time. And so I think I rebelled in my mind going to a different, going to jangle pop and just a completely different vibe than what was going on then.
1: Yeah, well, maybe the 80s is, you know, the beginning of, uh, of, a, of a more digital sound because, uh, you know, you had uh, these new, cheaper uh, synthesizers, um, you know, most famously the Yamaha DX7 uh, comes out and you can emulate uh, these these sounds now. Uh, and as we go through the 80s, that's a lot of technology that begins the, the you know, the digital revolution, certainly in music. So, you know, what your interest was was, was going back to the more handheld uh, traditional type of instruments, including the electric guitar.
2: Yeah. And now, you know, now many decades on, I respect and love the 80s Boom as a distinct I mean yeah, I think that yeah, the yeah. synths and drum machines, that's like a is almost as big a revolution I I guess you could oh, say certainly. in some ways. Yeah, so yeah. I mean I love it all now. But just in at that moment that's what got me kicked started on it, you know, mm-hmm. back in the, mm-hmm, when I was mm-hmm. in high school I yeah. got obsessed with yeah.
1: the Now you uh you grew up in uh in Detroit, is that right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, so a Mo, you know, Motown just
1: was, uh, oh gosh, the, I can't imagine it's got to be everywhere. Yeah, yeah you know. so the city's very proud of that fact.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I mean, in Mot, well, the I was going to say I was proud of the other stuff like Iggy and you know the Stooges and MC Five, but obviously that wasn't really happening yet in '65. So no, but yeah, I love Bob Seger. Detroit was a great place for music. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, but especially then.
1: So, uh, all right. So uh, tell us about getting uh, around to writing uh, this book. I, b- I believe you have, uh, this is your fourth book. You've had a couple uh, uh, before. All music-based, uh, right?
2: Right. Yeah. Um, in terms of this one, I'd always just been kind of researching it for fun just through osmosis because I just read books constantly since for three or four decades. But um, when it came time to write it, A... a- 65 was my personal favorite because I always loved 50s music and kind of the older, even in the early 60s, kind of that older, more early style or, yeah, I guess innocent style or, you know, slightly corny style, whatever. Um But then I always loved the later years of the 60s, too. But this kind of was the year when they both those kind of overlapped a little bit, I think. and uh, So it always had a personal fascination for me. But um, but then there's also just the fact that the other years had been covered by so many great writers, like 67, 68, 69. Those, they already were, there are tons of great books on all those. But there hadn't been one, there was a, 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 there were some books on like the historical 65, but not so much the music of 65 specifically.
1: I mean, I, you know, let's face it, uh, you know, when people think back from, you know, now looking back in the, 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 the 1960s, uh, you know, the easy... Uh, Things to point out are like '67, the Summer of Love. uh, Obviously, '69 Woodstock, maybe Altamont. Uh, There has been a couple of books written on Altamont recently. Uh, And uh, you know, '68 is the height of the Vietnam War. Uh, The change from you know a progressive society to a more conservative one. You got the uh, election of uh, uh, (laughs) of Richard Nixon. Uh, uh, Although Ronald Reagan was made governor in '66 in California, that was a big change as well. Um but you know that's starting to 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 morph into that uh that period of um where where it's easy to take the iconography uh as well. Uh, you know, the the hippies are in full swing. Uh they're very different from the the uh the, the, the look of the fifties and even the early sixties which still had that sort of uh you know more put together short hair, uh, you know, looking like everybody else, the conformist, uh, if you will, uh as opposed to the nonconformists of the latter half of the sixties out there. So so
2: But I I mean I love like you talk about the hippies, but I love for instance in here was when the acid test started in the Grateful yeah, Dead. Yeah, started Kesey, yeah, yeah. First started, Their first gigs for Kesey were in December, and Haight-Ashbury was taken off. And I love the idea. There was a quote in there from one of them talking about how, you know, by 67, it was overkill by the media. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Diggers had kind of said, we're out of here. This is crazy. Yeah, the Summer of Love wasn't really a Summer of Love. It was... Uh, more a uh, study, uh, a summer of overpopulation in a small area. Yeah. Uh, when you get right down to it, but the year before, like '66, actually was kind of, you know, really where the dream was was really formulated uh, more yeah. so than the year after that. So, well, th- well, tell us about the the research. As you said, you you've been reading, uh, you know, uh, you know the rock and roll biographies. I'm sure you've read uh, many of the journalists and the first person accounts uh, like Nick Cohn uh, oh, yeah. to make this right.
2: Yeah, he was he was my first uh, favorite rock critic at a record convention. They used to have I don't know I'm sure they still do have them, but back in the '80s, I would go to these places where they just have huge bins of records, and you know, like uh, that's where I first discovered love and all these you know.
1: Oh, the L.A. band, yeah.
2: Yeah, but um, I picked up this dog-eared rock from the rock from the beginning by Nick Cohen. and I loved his style, which was. Kind of like Kerouac and J D Salinger, and just very opinionated, and saying things that went against all the kind of the Rolling Stone accepted wisdom that I had already picked up. He was much more in your face, and uh, I think Lester Bangs got a lot from him later on. Yes, know? but um, yeah, in the so I Nick Cohn was my first favorite, and I actually inadvertently. Plagiarized one of his titles. I didn't realize until <laughs> year, years later. I I'd done a book on the solo Beatles and I called it Still the Greatest, the Essential Songs of the Beatles solo careers. But he then I realized after the book had already come out, he had a book called I Am Still the Greatest, says Johnny um angelou. I think I can remember <laughs> the character's last name. But so that's how much I love Nick Cohn. He uh I inadvertently took his title for one. Luckily, uh, you, you can't. You could,
1: it. You, you could do much worse. So, <laughs> so very good, very good. So, how do we get to 1965, the most revolutionary year? Was was a convergence of all the musical styles uh, being recognized in a in a single year? Um, You know, is is that is that your first? You know, from from reading the book, you know, it 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 does as it goes through. And by the way, you do split it into seasons. There there are the four seasons, uh, uh, starting with winter uh, and ending in fall, and uh, it kind of chronologically shows how these various forces you know come together or change or morph or or create a real metamorphosis uh as you you said in your uh your your uh your from cocoon to butterfly uh, right. uh concept yeah
2: probably the biggest one of those of all the different uh cross-genre pollination things was you know dylan when he went uh, to folk rock because you know he had started out as uh in high school, he wanted to be Little Richard. He or in the Little Richard's band. He wrote in his yearbook, and mm-hmm. he freaked out his high school gymnasium when he came on. And oh scared.
1: yeah, they only let him play like well, you know, not even a full song, and kicked <laughs> him off right. Yeah. It, yeah,
2: screaming at the piano. But then you know, it was like Fabian time when he was coming of age and. He didn't look like those,
1: those, yeah, he, he had to look like a movie star. Well, he had to look like Elvis. I mean, come on, yeah, was a pretty good looking guy. So, uh, every that was the model, if you will,
2: exactly. So, he 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 went into the folk world, and uh, but then by the time, uh, he he, uh, you know, after Peter Paul married, popularized his tunes, and he he kept getting bigger in Newport, and he, uh, he was finally getting some power, and also his albums didn't cost Columbia much back then. He just went into a studio one day and yeah, like yeah. recorded yeah, another there song. About.
1: <laughs> there, there's another album. I went 61 uh, visitor, Blonde on Blonde, or uh, you know, yeah, yeah, like a
2: couple days. But he, he, the Animals had heard his cover of uh, um, "House of the Rising Sun," a traditional song, um, on uh, y- which they made a huge single. And Joan Baez talks of how when Dylan saw it. Heard it on the radio. He pulled over the car and started banging the bumpers because he, that was he wanted to be.
1: That was it. That was the sound he w- he really wanted. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and the
2: Stones. He loved the Stones. So he finally had the power. And actually, he I you know interesting tidbit. He, he one of his first recordings was they tried to do a a rock and roll thing. Of, he did a rock to- song called Mixed Up Confusion back in like 62. Mm-hmm. But uh, his manager, Albert Grossman, thought that that was going to dilute or confuse his his branding. You know, so he, f- they pulled it, you know. But he had been chomping at the bit to combine those, you know, deep lyrics with uh, great rock. And so, you know, he did it and then the birds were doing it concurrently, you know. And so I would say that f- the folk rock was the biggest synthesis or convergence of
1: the year. There's there's a lot of convergence there. I mean, uh, you know, obviously the British invasion is kind of taken uh, the blues, uh, you know, you mentioned Stones uh, specifically Chicago blues with with those guys, you know, trying to emulate it as best they can and whether they're successful or not, um I'm not sure. Uh I know I know a couple of bluesmen who were like, hmm, that's interesting, boys, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'd call that the blues, but they created uh, a new sound and, and, and sent it back across the pond, and uh, wow, you know, uh, the kids ate it up. Uh, there you have it. Uh, you know, so uh, I think you have that British invasion also as a as a uh, amalgamation of a couple of different styles. You have uh, soul music become into prominence here. Uh, I think, uh, you know, as we'll Talk a little bit deeper. You you have James Brown uh, does publicly Got a brand new bag, which is you know the the beginnings of funk uh, in there. So there's a lot of these. These uh musical styles that are converging, but I think also as we we've said uh, uh, before here uh, it's the the culture is shifting, and there's a lot of change going on there, and uh, there's a lot of technology that is coming now into uh, into the forefront and we'll 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 dive deeper into that but you know Bob Dylan does say uh, in your book uh, a quote, uh, I guess the fifties would have ended in sixty five I think it's fair to say that the '60s, you know, as we remember them, which is the latter part of the '60s, uh, might have begin began in '65. Although a lot of people point to November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, with the assassination of JFK. So, do you think Dylan is correct, or do you think the other side is?
2: Well, you know, if I can weigh in on both sides, I, I, I'll say Dylan because that suits the purpose of my book. You know? <laughs> so that's, uh, that, that'll that be my vote. But, you know, when, with Kennedy... Well, he is
1: the Pied Piper, right? right. Yeah, yeah. What, hey,
2: Dylan, Dylan knows better than me. If that's what Dylan says, well, who am I to say different than Dylan? But, uh, but you could say that, well, for a lot of reasons with Kennedy, I mean, obviously, uh, all the kids who grew up in safe suburbia where everything had been pretty uh, placid definitely gives them an existential, uh, you know, It's jarring existentially to suddenly see, oh, things can totally go wrong. Yeah.
1: well, your president, I mean, you know, so many of the of the, the early baby boomers really identified with, with Kennedy. He was the future. He was, you know, young and uh, charismatic. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was so much promise. You know, this was the, the new frontier. This was a, a change from the previous generation's hold on power, or it was supposed to be. Right. And, you know, just two short years into his administration, you know, he's gunned down. And... By who? Uh, You know, we all know there's... You know this giant conspiracy that still surrounds, uh, you know, the assassination, uh, right. rightfully or wrong, uh, it it it's there. You know, and right. it was it was palpable uh, at, at that time. Uh, you know, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, you know, having to just to learn to live under the threat of annih- of nuclear annihilation uh, at a moment's notice. So it's got to yeah. be a, a lot going on. And you know, as we get to sixty-five, these this generation is beginning to mature. And it's a fairly educated uh, uh population, probably the most educated population uh, to have come around uh right. and maybe since uh, yeah. as, as well so um but you know
2: could mention- you know you when you mentioned Kennedy it made me think of two points that maybe the Kennedy is right because a his death um the programmers in in America needed counter programming after so much you know the 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 funerals and so yeah, much darkness. Yeah that they kind of seized on Beatlemania.
1: Yeah, well, you know, February 9, 1964, a few short months later, you know, yeah, here come the mop tops.
2: It's so maybe they wouldn't have had such a big, you know, debut here. Uh and the second thing is if he hadn't been killed, um Johnson, who had been the uh had worked been the master of the Senate, right? He took things that Kennedy theoretically wanted to do, the voting Voting
1: Rights Act. Yeah. Yeah. Civil rights, rights. Medicare, Medicaid, NASA.
2: (laughs) And he he got them through by saying Kennedy wanted to do this. Everybody was so, uh, you know, broken up that they were like, yeah, we got to go along with this where maybe Kennedy might have not been able to get those things had he lived normally, maybe he wouldn't have gotten all those things through. I
1: Interesting point. Well, you know, and, and that's what I'm I'm trying to get to with the book. It, it, even though it is about 1965, you you do talk a little bit about some of the precursors to get to 1965 and the aftermath and some of the results that uh, that happen after it.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Although that that was the big tension in writing the book. I mean, a good tension, but. I, i'll go down the rabbit hole in any any and every direction i just love and you know you you do need the to explain the context and the ramifications later but my editor was always like look you got it we only have a hundred thousand words here you got to stick to uh 65 so we had to kind of cut off to an extent before and after you know to so the book could stay in its price model you know, <laughs> on, the, on the bookstore <laughs> shelf
1: well let, let's uh let's let's break it down a little bit here uh, let's talk technology uh, I might suggest 1965 is when you know t- television has matured um, colors now uh, getting to be a, a big thing uh, most uh, homes certainly in white America uh, have televisions at least a black and white uh, uh, at this at this point uh, recording technology uh, has greatly matured by the by the mid decade um, you know you you have Abbey Road studios of with a four track uh, and, and then Columbia with you know four tracks and, and a lot of technologies being invented and brought into the studio on a daily basis here you have new ways to create the music uh, such as uh, even just with a razor blade on a, uh, on a uh, speaker uh, cone uh, all of Dave Davies with the kinks right mm-hmm. uh, So you know how much do you think that had to do with this musical convergence that occurs in 65.
2: Well, you know, one thing that popped into my mind, this is this is this was a kind of I I'm curious, do you think this is a two way out, you know, of a thought, but you could almost say that it was an evolutionary moment in humanity because hum- humans had created technology of television and media that were suddenly blasting images in Vietnam, this you know, civil rights struggles. Well, uh,
1: Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message. Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: Like before that, he, you know, so suddenly they were getting much more information through it. And then pharmacology, which is a subset in a way of technology, if you think of like humans. You're
1: getting to my next question, but sure, go ahead.
2: Like, so they they make the pill. And so that totally changes sexual relations. And, our, you know, so it's almost like, uh, and also LSD, you know, the way people were able to, you know, different states of mind so it, it's almost I don't know if this is two way out of thought but it's not <laughs> technology gets to the a tipping point where suddenly humans mutate themselves through their own technology to like a, a a different level of thinking in many spheres which is very stressful you know but it's I think
1: we're still going through that I think we're, we're you know we're moving uh t- t- just to go down the rabbit hole for a second yeah. you know yeah um we 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 are moving into um, you know an evolutionary shift uh in some way uh with the machine um you know, and I think your point is, is that, you know, this technology is now affecting, um, you know, society on on a large scale on a daily basis. Um, you know, uh, you know, television molds you and especially, you know, you're, you're, you're beginning now the age of the generation has actually grown up completely and utterly on television, uh, even as a, as a parenting device. Um, so there's that, uh, without a doubt. Um, uh, You know, the musicians... Artists, you know, as as we know, you know, uh, art reflects light, life and life reflects art, uh, you know, the the, the old uh, cliché. Um, you know, that is happening here uh, in real time. Uh, and unlike many other um, uh, uh, art forms that uh, you mentioned in, in the book uh, that I completely agree with, you know, th- this is done uh, in an immediate nature as opposed to something that – takes time to uh, mature uh, and even migrate through through the culture itself I mean like film takes months film, for fi- them to put it out yeah yeah so uh, you know this this happens uh, instantaneously you know we just mentioned you know Dylan could you know uh, record an album in uh, in a matter of a couple of days and and have it out within a, a matter of a couple of weeks you know mm-hmm. and he wasn't the only one you know a lot of people uh, did that sort of thing uh, certainly at that time you know the interesting thing uh, I do think on the musical side is is that, you know, a lot of these guys are now, they're self-contained. They're doing it themselves. This isn't, you know, which we will talk about, like, the Brill Building or we'll talk about the Wrecking Crew, the Funk Brothers, and that sort of stuff. You know, these guys are literally writing and recording it all themselves and making, you know, hit uh, hit records uh, at the same time and reinventing the art form itself. so But you mentioned... um LSD. I want to talk about that because we do. We think of that as a technology. Um, So uh, I want to bring it up as it gets to the masses. Um, I bring it up here. Um, because, like I said, in our, in our main series, uh, Episode 9, uh, we suggest LSD is a, a technology. Uh, its invention in 1938 at Sandoz by Hoffman uh, suggests that alone, pharmacology, right? But it's a very mind-altering substance that was now being taken um, by the intelligentsia uh you know, most famously with uh with uh, Abby H- I mean uh Aldous Huxley. Uh, well Aldus Huxley's Doors of Perception and then uh, uh Timothy, Leary. Timothy Leary and uh Albert and Albert yeah Richard and Albert. Albert, yeah, right. Richard, now Ram Dass right. uh you know you know handing it out to you know thinking that this is a way to to move the society forward by having the elites uh, join in, um, but uh, uh, but then uh, you know this uh, this cat uh, named Ken Kesey gets a hold of it, and he starts handing it out to everybody, uh, and I think that's really the change. And and some of the first of you know the of these people to get that is are the musicians themselves,
2: right? Yeah, the Beatles they they first got it because um, they're. There, there, they were friends with it. Their dentist was girlfriend was the house quote house bunny of yeah. the Playboy um. London Playboy Club, and the the dentist and her had heard it was some sort of aphrodisiac. They didn't even really know what it was, and when uh, John and George and their wives came over to their house one night, they dosed them with it, and then they told them after the fact,
0: not
1: good. <laughs> <laughs> <yeah>.
2: <laughs> Although, like I guess George and John and Patty had good times, but Cynthia kind of for, you know, she, she had a more malevolent, it gave her more malevolent vibes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but. Well, they went to the
1: ad lib club and, uh, things didn't turn out real good, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, there and, uh, uh, yeah, it's probably not a good idea to, uh, to have somebody just dose you without, uh, knowing, uh, what's, what's coming. Uh, but, but at the same time, it's, it's legal.
2: Yeah. It was legal then. You know, this is, I'm curious to your take on this because, uh. I hadn't heard in all my Beatles research. I hadn't seen this per se, but, you know, uh, so they get dosed. I forget if it was March 29th or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Naturally, they're probably like, what what the hell was that? And Paul McCartney's friend, he wasn't dosed, but his friend uh, Barry Miles is part of the big bookstore in London where Ginsberg speaks. Uh, Mid-April, they record Help, and Lennon has the lyrics in there, but now I've opened up the doors. I've always wondered. It, you tell me if you think this is reading too much into it. I wonder if he was like, "What just happened to me?" Barry Miles or somebody says, "Oh, it's hey, like the go doors get perception." The, uh, Aldous,
1: uh, Aldous Huxley's book, right?
2: And he slips it into to help. I don't know. Do you, you think you're too reading too much? into
1: might It might be a stretch. I mean, uh, we know for a fact. Tomorrow never knows uh, is a direct correlation to uh, to his LSD experiences, uh, but. Right. uh uh, yeah, but I mean that that changes up the equation quite dramatically, especially when it then gets unleashed unto uh, you know, the masses uh, here by by Kesey and the acid tests uh, of '64. For and my, my point is, the experience is an alteration in consciousness, uh, a metamorphosis, like like your suggestion of uh, of the caterpillar to the butterfly, uh, to all who. Take it um so how much did that begin to change the music in 1965
2: well you know i had two thoughts on that one is it's interesting that i don't think a lot of the musicians it was around 65 that take not even lsd but they were first getting exposed uh, to, to a a pot. marijuana
1: pot yeah mm-hmm.
2: like keith richard says in his bio in 60 his autobiography in 65 he was on tour with uh he doesn't. I don't think he says specifically who, but black uh, recording artists. Seems like the Stones were coming in every night after party and looking disheveled, like disasters. But the black guys were always super slick. And so he asked one of them, "How do you guys do it?" And the and the the black artist, whoever it was, he doesn't say. he Said, "You take one of these. You smoke a little of this, and you take one of these." And he gave him some pot and a. Amphetamine, yeah, yeah. and uh, that turned the stones onto the pot, and uh, I, but in terms of how it's changing the music, so I think, I think they started. I think they're smoking, and the Beatles were already smoking pot from Dylan, front, you yeah. know, reintroducing mm-hmm. yep. them. But I think, he, like you, you li- listen to Ticket to Ride, the the end of a hard day's night, they have this little arpeggio that George plays, which I think they revisit in the beginning of Ticket to Ride. But I think by then they've been smoking pot. And so they've suddenly they've been listening to it weird and it's it's a little heavier and they kind of make it a little more shimmery. So I think the drugs started making them appreciate the way the technology can make it sound. And also, had, these guys were art students, who had, as you said before, they were they loved the 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 blues, but they couldn't probably do it. You know, they like the originals, but th- they gave them a detachment, as our, the other critics have said, that they were unlike the white Americans who are too close to it, they could detach look at the music, and then they could step outside and go, how can we play with this a little? Because obviously we can't match the originals, but we can start mutating. Like Pete Townsend's in art school. Mm-hmm. He starts thinking about, well, the Yardbirds were the first ones, that probably they, were, they added the fuzz box to imitate a sitar. You know, and Pete Townsend's all into auto-destruction because yeah, his yeah. painter, you mm-hmm. know, and his... Yeah, so the, he starts doing this way out feedback on anywhere, anyhow, anyway, you know. So I, I think they start. Maybe they're smoking pot. They're thinking, how can we play with the technology uh, to make it sound different? Whereas, uh, didn't see initially the the white American Americans weren't doing that as much. Maybe. You know, because they hadn't been through art school.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see your point. I see your point. Yeah, that's a possibility. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the the British education system had changed uh, in the, I think 1958, uh, the year uh, Lenin uh, goes to uh, uh, to college, and uh, th- th- you know, there was no pathway prior to that then joining the the army, uh, right. you know, and uh, the conscription had ended. And now these other options were available to these, um, you know, lower classes in the, uh, the UK system. Uh, and, uh, you know, these folks went to art school and they were exposed to uh, the art itself or uh, the art movements. Uh, and then, you know, um, certainly uh, the mind-expanding uh, drugs such as... Uh, uh, Pot and LSD, and uh, and that uh, then opens the doors to creativity. Right. So is what you're what you're trying to suggest here. I think so. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's break down what the various musical. Uh, uh variations that are going on in 65 i mean i mean obviously the big headline is the beatles uh and the british invasion uh i you know it's funny I, you you disagree with that you you think more that the folk rock side of things maybe is 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 a, is a bigger spoke would that is that true
2: well i guess when you're talking about uh, just convergence of previous uh, you know genres that had been in their their different silos mm-hmm. I, I think uh that's the one that, uh, well, you, you know, like a rolling stone comes across the radio. I, suddenly, suddenly you have like, you know, rock music, but this guy's talking about what is this is like a, a woman who was, you know, like a beauty queen or something. And now she's fallen into the street. Yeah, and now and, she's a
1: homeless person. Yeah. It, things like that. Yeah.
2: You know, like, uh, was she on drugs? Is she like a hooker now? Yeah. You know, you so many weird thoughts, you know, and that. Just, she's it, not
1: the she's not the girl that's normally in a rock song. Which right, is the one you want, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just
2: <laughs> totally. You know, he, so he, I think on both levels, uh, you know, suddenly you could just sing about, you know, uh, whatever. In fact, was that the one? Uh, he he was blocked by his own imitation, right? Then I think it was blocked from number hidden. Oh no, yeah, it was it blocked from number one by Eve of Destruction, which. Uh, P.J. Sloan,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, had
2: uh which rip- was
1: a which is a Dylan ripoff, yeah, definitely. yeah, like, yeah.
2: Uh, and he's singing about you know civil rights and senators not voting and uh, you know like nuclear holocaust. And, yeah,
1: well, the lyrics are very obvious, yeah. uh, which Dylan probably wouldn't do. Uh, right. I think that's the big difference between uh, between even destruction and, uh, and an actual Dylan song, right? And it's uh, it's topical uh, and uh, it's political, it's polemic, and uh, he 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 kind of shows away from that sort of thing I think at the right. time so so you, you know uh, but you know you you, you okay so let's do let's, let's say you have the folk rock um, uh, that's being converged here you have the British invasion which has taken um, blues music and um, not not the Beatles so much but definitely the who the Yardbirds, the stones um, uh, and the kinks are are kind of trying to copy that they, they they've kind of grown up on those records that have been brought over by US servicemen uh, after after World War II. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's been thrown back. I, I think, uh, uh, as you point out in the book, um, uh, 13 of the 26 number one hits uh, are by British, uh, uh, yeah, British bands, right?
2: That was the high point of the British invasion. There was one uh, week in April where 10 of the—or 8 of the 10 number one—or 8 of the 10 top 10s were British. And you know one and one of those was uh, the Seekers was Australian. I don't know if you
1: can yeah. kind of ah, put
2: that in there. Getting so. part of
1: the empire at that point, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so they that that was the time when it was. Uh, I'll count it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give them a half a point or something. Yeah. But, but they, that was uh, definitely the peak in terms of their uh, you know commercial uh, dominance of the. Uh, um, and then I think Motown. I, yeah, I,
1: yeah, Motown. You have stacks. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, uh, black music that's rising. Uh, very different, uh, but... Uh, you and the have, Beach Boys. Yeah, with the, the Beach Baroque Boys and the California Pop. sound. You have yeah. the Wrecking Crew out here, you know, Motown. You have the Funk Brothers, uh, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, Bob Dylan does... Go Electric on uh, July 20th at the Newport uh, Folk Festival that occurs in 1965 and right. you know that is a big game changer made a lot of people unhappy <laughs>
2: it, You know what's funny I'm obviously glad that he uh, did it you know but in a weird, when I was writing about it you can almost see some of the, those young ideal idealists point in the sense that folk music had been the main voice of the civil rights movement and mm. uh, And now suddenly, uh, and all their songs were about you know progress, social progress. And now, but now Dylan's wearing polka dot shirts and trying to be like uh, the Beatles or something. You know, you can almost see how some of them would be like, ah, he's selling out. You know.
1: uh you know sooner or later uh you know you can't make you can't make everybody happy and you, know, you can only, as an artist you really only got to make yourself happy and uh, hope other people will understand and go along with uh, with what you're trying to do uh and you know i think history shows that it was definitely the right move
2: yeah but it's it's over the year you can see him getting uh first he's like freaked out by he's getting all the booze oh yeah but then and he's like talking to reporters he's like these people must be pretty rich. They come pay, pay a right, lot of boo. money. To <laughs> pay right. Boom.
1: Right. But
2: at the end, he's like, that was like a carnival. He's like, it's great. You know, yeah. he starts yeah. feeding off.
1: Yeah. Right. It's it's not like the attendance dropped. Is right. the thing. Right, yeah. right, right, right. And of course you got James Brown who's right. doing his own thing yeah, out there. So it's just all these different musical styles seem to be coming together in, in 1965 is, as I think your point. So, um, I think we'd both agree that the song of 1965 uh, was in fact the Rolling Stones' satisfaction – I can't get no satisfaction um, – four weeks at number one uh, at the height of the summer. Um, only yesterday uh, meets that uh, four weeks at number one. Do, do you agree with that assessment?
2: Um do you mean it's like the best song of 65 or like the ultimate, so you're saying? Like the... Yeah,
1: yeah. Kind of like, you know, almost every year has a, a, a very particular song that, you know, you can pretty much identify as, as that. That was yeah. the song of the year.
2: Yeah. Are you, are
1: you... So is it, is, it, is it yesterday or is it is it satisfaction or do I have it completely wrong? Is it well, something completely different? Well, I, I mean, you know, like a Rolling Stone is in there too. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, not that it had, uh, it wasn't number one for, I mean, only those two were number one for four weeks in a row.
2: Right. Well, well you know, I would, I would, A, I would say, yeah, personally, satisfactions like in probably, in, in, in a lot of ways it was because it, it combined in a way it's folk rock lyrics. You know, he's complained about advertising and yeah. stuff, yeah. but with the, the beat, they recorded half of it there. They started in chess studios before right. they moved to LA. So it's got the blues thing and it's got the Motown. They kind of imitate the uh, four tops, four on the floor beat from uh, Can't Help Myself. And uh, then it's got the new technology where they, he wanted, uh, Keith Richards w- wanted horns. But there was no time, you know. They so uh,
1: yeah, yeah. The 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 lick is supposed to be a horn line uh, originally, is what he says. Is that as he thought of it as yeah,
2: yeah. So uh, Ian Stewart, their their guy, uh, their Keyboard pianist, yeah, yeah. ran down to the street here in L.A. and got a fuzz box, which I had been used in the Heart Full of Soul recently and other a lot of other stuff. Um, I think, um, and so it kind of combines all these things we're talking about, you know folk and the uh the soul and the blues and the technology like rolling stone maybe the most innovative but you know under you know you might an underdog is uh, james brown papa's got a brand new bag which in a way that's the song today with the rise of you know hip-hop oh is, r-
1: all rhythmic yeah yeah uh,
2: you know that's kind of supplanted now on the in pop you know yeah. rock yeah he he starts to move away from melody towards just pure uh rhythm as you say and uh, um so that's you know depending on which which angle you're looking at things you know there that's what's great about the year there's so many different um you know ways you can uh, go yesterday you know uh it's That kind of brings in the the Baroque pop, the rise of, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. which Brian uh, Wilson was also working on, bringing in the strings and the classical stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking back as well, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to uh, the immediacy of most rock songs or or maybe tomorrow, how things are going to be better. uh, You know, this is, um, you know, a, a bit of nostalgia uh, from, from a a young, very young writer at the time. Uh, uh, and it's, uh, it is, it's taken another leap by adding in instrumentation, uh, that you don't normally find in a, in a rock song at that time. Right.
2: Yeah. 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 I think, um, uh, that, that, that's one of my favorite genres, Baroque pop. So that was one of the reasons I loved the year too. That really, like Wilson is trying to match Phil Spector in a way and he starts, uh, yeah, and Beach Boys. Today, the second side, it has all these uh, cornucopia of different instruments and you know orchestration and all that. So, it's uh, yeah, I, I love. It. Yesterday's a great song too. Man. They're all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to pin it down when you get right down to it, but you know, um, I don't know. I just I think back and I just you know satisfaction is just it just screams through uh, the. Uh, um Uh, Through the speakers Even today Uh, You know I I see your point With with Papa's got a brand new bag Definitely you know has this Huge influence that um, um, You know really grows You know the further We get away Um, But uh, you know that uh, Distorted uh, quote unquote Horn line uh, You know will stay with you till the day you die
2: Uh, and, And I love just The meta or the Symbology or whatever that they they had been recording in Chess Studios, you know, their, uh, their the home of their their uh, idols, and that was the last song that they recorded there. They they kind of laid it, they kind of laid it down. I'm not sure if they re-recorded the whole thing. They they did it. They did some takes of it in Chess, and then they came out to yeah. LA, mm-hmm. and then they never go back to Chess after that. But it's kind of like this their graduation in a sense. That song where they've they've been blues apprentices doing great stuff. But here now they're going on to their own thing. You know what I mean? Uh,
1: yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right. So let's talk a little culture and politics. On on January 20th, 1965, Lyndon Johnson was inaugurated for the first full term and the great society uh, is now in full swing. Uh, uh, America is still in the post-World War II, uh economic boom. Uh, unemployment was low. So um, how much did – the good times uh, make a difference to the sound of '65.
2: That's a good question. I mean, I, on the one hand, I, I just stepping away from the sound for a moment, I think without those good times, we wouldn't have I mean, Medicare, yeah. Yeah. and Medicaid today, and you know, oh, the uh, Civil Rights Civil- Act,
1: the '64 Voting Rights Act, of '65. Uh, right. It seems like you know we're on the verge of these you know amazing times,
2: the Great Society. We're yeah. on the but a Vietnam, of course,
1: yeah. like the... Yeah. By
2: the end of the year, at the beginning, uh, Johnson says something like, "These are the most hopeful times in two thousand years." Like when he says it Since is
1: the birth of Jesus, birth Christ, of Jesus, right, right,
2: right. with his first inauguration, you know, at the beginning of the year. But then by the end of the year, he's definitely, uh, you know, uh, Vietnam is definitely uh, crashing the party in his mind.
1: You know? Yeah, I don't, you know, in '65 though, Vietnam's still, uh, you know, some small dot on a. Globe and uh, most people can't really point to it. I mean, you, you know, you have the first combat troops arrive beyond the the uh, advisors. Uh, I think right. thirty five hundred Marines land uh, in sixty five, um, but it's still not. You know, uh, you don't. You know, you know, the 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 issue on campus is not so much Vietnam. It's more free speech. It's right. uh, Mario uh, Savio and uh, Berkeley and all of that. Uh, and uh, you know, that's some of the agitation that uh, is starting to happen. You have know, the Watts riots in, uh, in right. 1965 too, uh, and uh, that certainly uh, causes a lot of fear in in white America. Um, but uh you know you also have 6.5 million american women on the pill uh which had just been introduced 5 years prior
2: and and this was the year um that the supreme court decided that uh he, there was a case Griswold versus uh somebody in connecticut
1: yeah the, yeah uh,
2: that um connecticut was trying to say they uh, they couldn't prescribe the pill but uh, the supreme court des- decided um
1: on privacy, yeah. privacy that yeah. it was,
2: you know, marital privacy back then. They call it that, uh, so that kind of uh, paved the way for uh, the pill being widely uh, dispersed. Through, yeah,
1: and uh, you know. the sexual revolution begins. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so the the, the 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 politics and culture at the time, um, you know, are beginning to shift. And again, going back to Dylan, uh, who says that the. The fifties really ended in 1965. I think these are maybe some of the things he's pointing to as right. uh, as uh, evidence to uh, to his argument, huh?
2: Right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Um, so the album begins to become a thing in 1965. Uh, at the the back of the book, you have an appendix of with 50 albums of the year, um, and it and it's I, I believe it's done in chronological order.
2: Yeah, that, that was my way to. To a kind of sidestep having to say Rubber Soul or Highway 61 or whatever.
1: Well, that was going to be my question. So, pick three of the of the ones that should be at the at the top of the list if you had to rank them.
2: Well, um, well, what what I always loved about Rubber Soul was that that kind of try, sums up so many different uh, move uh, movements of the year. And you know, the the following year, the Beatles will become the Vanguard and, like, you know, backwards guitars and crazy sound yeah, effects. Yeah. But in a way, this year, they're almost, uh, they're almost like the top top dog who is listening to all the other people and then putting their spin on it and amplifying those things. Like, they have, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're stabs at soul, like Drive My Car. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the folk rock. Uh, I mean, the birds were inspired by their sound, but then... George Harrison tries to uh emulate uh you know some of their their the bells of Rimney and stuff and with his sound and then John likes how he George does it on if I need someone does nowhere man you know and they have uh you know they they just bring in so many of the different types of uh, the sitar you know that that was kicking around with the heart of soul imitated it, and then the the uh, kinks tried to imitate it the the general Indian sound on see my friend and so mm-hmm. The Beatles were like, we got to get in on that, you know. So that album kind of sums up so many dis- disparate things. But
1: so you would put that at the top of the list, uh,
2: you know. But, <laughs> but in terms of like earth shattering,
1: uh, I don't want to put a noose around your neck or anything like that. But but yeah, as far as as far as just cultural impact, uh, you know, let's face it, they they are the top act in the world uh, at the at that time. And and here is their statement: is your point, right?
2: Yeah, that that one. But the Dylan two, the Dylan two albums, you'd probably have to say those are the most uh, groundbreaking. I would imagine where he, um, he recorded, by the way, in like one or two days. You know, like with bringing it all back home. You know, and so those two albums, I would I would say they're probably one of those. I don't, you know, I like Highway sixty one slightly, but I but I don't know. They're like neck and it's all neck and neck. You
1: know? <laughs> so you're not going to let me pin you down, that, huh?
2: What about you? What, what would you?
1: Caesar. oh man um you know uh rubber soul uh you know definitely is the one that will be remembered five hundred years from now uh def- uh you know the 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 two bob dylan albums uh um are uh are absolutely uh huge uh and groundbreaking uh and will influence so many people uh down the down the road so i, I think we're pretty Pretty well aligned uh, out there as far as the 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 top the top three albums uh, out there. So,
2: my, when I was a kid, my personal favorite in high school was the Who sings My Generation, but I I, I couldn't uh, the song or the well the album the, the whole album. You oh. know but I couldn't make an argument that that beats Bob Dylan or. anything <laughs> like that
1: okay all right so oh so it's not just a personal uh personal preference it is uh uh you know it is it it is uh you know from historical uh perspective you're, you're 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 uh you're putting your professional hat on when you when you suggest those three yeah,
2: yeah. I mean soul purists they'd say like Otis blue probably oh you know,
1: yeah something. yeah that's a good one uh, yeah yeah I'm a big otis fan so uh
2: whoa well, oh, 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 I lo- love supreme I uh, guess that would be. John Coltrane be, yeah, well yeah
1: yeah 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 and we'll we'll talk about that here. Uh, so uh let's let let's switch over to to, to black music uh, of the mid uh, decade. Uh you know, James Brown is out on his own, uh you know, recreating himself again with Papa's got a brand new bag. Stax is conquering soul music and Motown is mostly trying to claw into the white market uh with gr- great songwriting all of the the brill building uh and top talent like the supremes who have four number one uh uh hit records in 65 uh, you got smokey the temptations etc you know the the sound of young america right so what can we glean from from those moves
2: we well, you know the thing i always love about uh talking about motown and stacks the irony in that um so motown was trying to cross over so they you know they put the strings on you know and Stax kind of had um, more uh, distorted guitar a little bit not too much but for the time uh, and they had horns and organ and uh, but the real irony is that it was two um, whereas Barry Gordy obviously was the Motown guy uh, it was uh, two white bankers a brother and sister (laughs) Stax. Stewart was the guy, Jim Stewart. His yeah. last, yeah, his last name was Stewart. His sister's name was Axton. Axton. Yeah, yeah. So they make stacks, and then the house band that plays on uh, Booker T
1: and the MGs. Yeah, half of those guys, the, two the, white guys, two black guys. Right, right.
2: you yeah, so like the bassist and guitarist are the white guys, and so
1: yeah, Steve Cropper and Donald Dunn, uh, Donald Duck Dunn, and yeah, it's
2: so they're the black the black raw label, but they're. <laughs> They're like half white, and then you know. The, but I guess that's. I always wondered: is it because the white being white, did they feel they had more leeway to like experiment, or they're more bohemian? Whereas for the black audience, it was more just we got to you know we're trying to break onto the radio, the pop, the pop radio, cause which is actually, mostly the, white. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they felt so where they had the, to adhere. where the real money
1: was. Yeah, right. Yeah, they, yeah. they want
2: to make yeah the bigger audience. So they're trying to adhere, play by the rules. Whereas the I don't know. It was just interesting, you know, like the, the con- contrast between those two labels.
1: Yeah, and, and then and then like I said, then you have um, uh, James Brown out there just you know carving his own path, uh, yeah. and nobody getting in the way.
2: Yeah, and I you know I don't I, I drummed a little bit in high school, but I'm not a good drum theorist but I think he starts coming up with the funk beat which I from what I understand instead of like rock being on the 2 and the 4 yeah, the, the backbeat right, right. he's like doing it on the first you know the one or whatever, so that was like a kind of brown, groundbreaking uh, rhythm, I guess,
1: at the time. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, unlike you know a support structure at Stacks and, and a huge support structure at, at Motown, including the finishing school, um, you know, again, here's you know this poor kid, you know, raised from the worst uh, a whorehouse. He grew uh, up, oh, yeah. you know, in yeah, in the the deepest, darkest South uh, oppression that you can imagine, uh, you know, is just, you know, breaking through all of that. Uh, you know, I just, I cannot say enough about, uh, how important James Brown is to, uh, to popular music in the latter half of the 20th century. And even as we've discussed uh, already a couple of times today, uh, he's still making an impact.
2: The story that I love in the, the, I think it was from, um, well, it was from one of the biographies, read, but, uh, I was a comic book uh, nerd when I was a little kid, and this kind of origin of James Brown, I always thought, like, he had been digging a ditch or something with these white guys when he was a teenager or a kid.
0: Oh,
1: I know where you're going with the electricity, yeah. Yeah,
2: they there's, like, some sort of, like,
1: uh, electric
2: pole or, like, it's in the water or something, and they're, they're going, hey, touch that. And he's like, no, I don't want to touch it, but they're like, touch it. So he touches it, and he's, they like, make shocked.
1: Him. Yeah, they make him, yeah.
2: They make him touch it, and... uh it, 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 this is
1: very. So cheesy, this is the superhero origin he, story. He
2: gets like all this electricity coursing <laughs> through him, and then he like survives, and then he can't say anything to them at the time because Jim oh, Crow, they yeah. like
1: whatever. They beat him, him to death. Yeah,
2: but he's after that. He's walking down the street. He says with quote crocodile smile, just wishing like a white guy would say something to him cause, but he he knows he hopes they don't because he'd kill him. You know, so he's just this this anger of this guy you know but uh it, but his resilience and just rising up and
1: it's uh, amazing it's amazing, amazing. so all right, so most of the 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 book is dedicated to pop music popular music at the time you know you have the uh, we have as we've discussed discussed the uh the um um uh soul and 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 motown music uh uh the british invasion um you know the blues side of things uh from them uh you have uh, the the broke uh, music beginning to come in the folk rock which we've mentioned several times but there's there's a, another uh, album we just talked about a second ago and that's a love supreme by by john coltrane um that that fits into into your your book as well why why is that
2: well, um, I would say two reasons. On on the one hand, uh, there's a chapter early on in the book that covers um, uh, the Selma, like in the civil rights uh, moment in the early part of the year, where um, you know uh, there it was like a, a, a Martin Luther King and all these people marching, where the the White sheriffs, you know, they were trying to vote, register to vote, but the sheriffs were sick and the, the dogs and, the you know, all yeah. this horrible
1: mm-hmm. beating Fire people in the bridge. Yeah.
2: But it gets um it gets broadcast on TV and the uh, revulsion of just the masses, you know, like the regular people in the country become so uh, extreme. They finally push through a lot of legislation. And that happened right when Malcolm X got uh, shot, killed, killed, shot. The- and then Love Supreme was uh, released right then. So I just thought those three all happening simultaneously really uh, added up to a, a powerful moment. And also Love Supreme, even though, yeah, it was uh, jazz. Well, A, jazz wasn't quite so uh, divorced from the,
1: popular uh, music at the time. Yeah. It was still
2: kind of, yeah, mm-hmm. he had just done an album of uh, my favorite things. You know, they they would cover, do covers of show tunes and things like that but also like the Grateful Dead would later talk about how they would walk around Haight-Ashbury and you'd hear it just floating out of, uh, all the, the, um, people's apartments. And so that in, it's, it did influence a lot of, you know, the more, uh, avant-garde of the, you know, uh, rock musicians at the time. And I mean, uh, you know, the who with, the he was talking more like with any way, anyhow, anywhere he was trying to do a uh, Charlie Parker, but you know, the jazz was influencing, um, You know the rock musicians into so.
1: You know you you mentioned the the uh, the music wafting out and uh, Hate Ashbury and uh, how it uh, maybe influenced the the Dead and their um, you know uh, uh, improvisationals. uh, uh, take on rock music the the, the albums kind of interesting because it, it's it's a it's a four-part spiritual awakening uh, and I, I want you to tell us a little bit more uh, about that and, and why it's important because you know as you said that the 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 you know the, the, the this is wafting out of the the the, uh, the houses in the in the in the hate and people like Jerry Garcia are picking it up who will take on this jazz improvisational uh, piece to 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 their interpretation of popular music but but you know let's talk about the four parts of uh, of the Coltrane album The Love Supreme
2: yeah he um well he had a very kind of uh uh he he studied many different religions and uh you know from you know uh, Christianity to Islam to uh, eastern eastern religions and um so his he had kind of a the album was you know reflected his Spiritual questing, you know, beyond any kind of label, it just as pure uh, quest for a religious connection with, with uh, God, and he broke it into acknowledgement, resolution, pursuance, and psalm. Which, mm-hmm. you know, you could say acknowledgement. You know, he's he's acknowledging the need for
1: you know, uh, for a spiritual uh, a feeling or or, or a uh, a guide of some form,
2: right, and then. Resolving to do what he had to do to to attain that, and then pursuance you know yeah, pursuing it, yeah. and psalm, which uh what I always loved about that song was on the uh, liner notes he has a poem that he wrote uh reflecting his spiritual beliefs, and on the song he actually plays the words except on his saxophone, so but if you read along with the the poem and you listen to him play it, you can kind of see how they fit together, and it just sounds so uh majestic you know that his his horn you know his sax just kind of calling out across you know the universe and uh you know it's just uh very powerful you
1: know. yeah it's uh it's an amazing album in itself it's just um it just stands out as uh different in the book than most of the other uh the other music that you're 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 talking about
2: well that was part of the, partly too originally i was you know herbie hancock and all these people you know uh Artie Chef, mm-hmm. he was, you know, all these people were doing- Oh, Artie Shaw, yeah. Shaw, Artie, yeah. they were doing ton, tons of uh, great stuff. And I started to go into a jazz chapter, but then it was like, you have to, you know, bring it in at 100K, so where do I cut? <laughs> you know, for the most people buying the book, they're probably more, uh, you know, buying it for the rock and mm-hmm. stuff. So, mm-hmm. you
1: know, yeah. Yeah, I did. Um uh You know, uh, conversely, um. Uh, you. 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 We. We've talked about the pop music. Uh, we've talked a little bit about jazz here with Coltrane. Well, there's there's country too. Country yeah. is going is going to change mostly by you know what what we now refer to as is maybe outlaw country. Right. Uh, you've got uh, you know uh, you've got Buck Owens and the and the Buckaroos. I I think are kind of leading the charge. And I don't know if they're intentionally doing so but uh you know they they make a different type of music than what nashville is really seeking uh, at that time right
2: yeah i mean well you the outlaws in the 70s you know like willie nelson and waylon jennings they were um deliberately rebelling against nashville's uptight restrictions because they by that point they were growing their hair longer and smoking pot and wanted to produce the albums themselves so but the bakersfield guys were a little you know, before that, obviously, and it—I it, don't know if there was so much rebelling in that. You know, uh, Nashville was on the East Coast, and then, but predominantly Okies. You know, they had come out from Oklahoma and, all, and the Dust oh, Bowl. Oh, the
1: Dust Bowl and the yeah, the Depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And they had started their own. They had just gone to uh, Bakersfield. You know, on the other to go to work, go to work, and yeah. and also it was kind of like an hour from Hollywood, so it kind of formed. It was far enough away from Hollywood. Not
1: today, where, but yes, back then. <laughs> back then,
2: oh yeah, yeah. Back then, they didn't have like gridlock everywhere. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I actually, Buck Owens would uh, would come and do sessions during the day and and head back for gigs uh, in Bakersfield in, in the evening. Yeah, or or and out out to Vegas. They'd go out to Vegas too from here.
2: Right. Yeah. So there was like a they, you know, there was an economy that was supporting them. But then they were far enough away from Hollywood to not be Hollywood, and then they were far enough away from Nashville to just get their own kind of a uh, sound, as uh, kind of. And uh, I think they they went whereas Nashville was trying to uh, cross over with a uh, pop, you know, adding strings and all that. They were Bakersfield. They were more uh, in touch with the honky tonk, yeah. kind of just uh, yeah. stripped down more. Tougher sound, you know, with Merle Haggard and uh, Buck Owens going on out there.
1: All right. So I, I think we've hit on the emerging musical genres that made a, a big difference in 65. Did, did I miss anything?
2: No, I think you, uh, you did a good overgi- overview there.
1: So you, you end the book on Vince Garaldi's choice to score the Charlie Brown Christmas uh, special, uh, still an annual staple uh, on, uh, on television, uh, as a positive sign and then the surprising election of Ronald Reagan in 66 and uh and uh, and then of course Richard Nixon in 68 um kind of polar opposites here yeah well well, well with the charlie I mean Brown- one's a progressive vision with Charlie Brown
2: right yeah not selling out you know like going to the whole folk uh theme of the year you know like uh, and helping the weak, you know, getting like the weak tree and not getting the whole, uh, you know, giant aluminum. The, the
1: commercialization thing. of Christmas Commer- is a, Yeah, a big point in that too, yeah.
2: Avoiding, but um, yeah, you know, and also uh, uh, Schultz, it's interesting, like his, you know, Lucy is like the psychiatrist in that one. Yeah. And it, it kind of reflected the growing, uh, you know, uh, self-help or the, you know, the boomers would be reaching out to, uh, you know, a lot of new psychological
1: uh, well their own spiritualism uh, and their own spiritual journey to to find what joel john coltrane was uh, expressing in uh, love supreme
2: yeah to get oh yeah to get over like charlie brown's anxiety to get over their own version of the, the anxiety that he yeah. was or neuroses that he was suffering from but yeah and also linus and lucy that the tune garaldi did you know i mean that's I put that up in my top ten or twenty of the songs of the year. Actually, you know the Charlie Brown theme. Yeah, is, I mean it's a, it's definitely in a weird way uh, one of the most enduring of that year.
1: It yeah. is indelible. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. It's
2: you know they, they, and it ended like you say on kind of nice note where it's funny. I'm working on one on seventy three now, but in that year, The Exorcist came out the day after Christmas. So I'm kind of like, I wish I had a nice note to end on this next book. <laughs> but it's like the opposite it's like the worst <laughs> note <laughs> and
1: um, we'll talk about that in just a, in just a second. So, you know, again, on the opposite side uh is a regressive uh uh movement uh you know, saying uh, a stop uh to all this that uh maybe we're uh, we're going too far. Um so my question to you is, you know, um who won or does the fight continue?
2: I would say the uh that's a good question. It's pretty close. You know, the fight, obviously, the fight always continues today, you know, like, I mean, it's going on right now. I mean, that's what I think the the story in the future of America will be the progressive forces that, you know, we see in this year, you know, like uh, civil rights, and then also, uh, even the sexual revolution with the pill that later, that'll be like, Turned
1: the, into the women's movement in the 1970s, right? The women's Feminism yeah, and, was, uh, on the rise and appears to take, be taken another step forward.
2: Yeah. You're taking a step forward now or. Yeah. Know,
1: that, yeah. After the last election. Definitely.
2: Oh yeah. The me too movement. Yeah. Def- yeah. Although now who knows with the court with the, uh, you feel they'll strike down. You know, probably not. But.
1: Can you really put the genie back in the bottle?
2: Yeah. Right. You
1: know, right. I just don't see that uh, happening. I mean, it's something to be fearful of. Definitely something to fight uh, and keep those, uh, keep those rights moving forward. Um, but um, uh, you know it's 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 really hard. You know, and, and, and unless you know we re- return to another dark ages of some form, uh, right. it's really really hard. I mean, mass media—it's so easy to get uh, you know uh, uh, you know knowledge at your fingertips. I mean, you you walk around with the Encyclopedia Britannica in your yeah. pocket, uh, you know, or I'm sorry, the Library of Congress uh, yeah. and everything else—all uh, on your fingertips. It's it's amazing. So. Um, do the songs of 50 years ago still matter?
2: You know, um, in a way, you'd probably have to ask, uh, well, I got an eight year old daughter. We'll, we'll ask her and, like, we'll see when I try to get her into them. Like, uh, I don't, you know, do they matter to the teenagers? I mean, a lot of the, uh, well, definitely satisfaction complaining about advertising and get off my cloud. I mean, I get irritated every day I'm trying to check my email and there's like all this it's giving me uh I don't know going to give me an epileptic fit all these like commercials going on in the the corner you know like I I definitely think yeah I think they're you know thematically as relevant and and I think as uh even as we move towards I, I'm not sure how much of today's music is you know drum machines and you know uh uh and synths and all synthesizers, which I, in a way, I think that makes it more interesting. I mean, I love love a lot of music from those kind of sources, but in a way it makes the 65 music and the music of that time that was recorded live or, you know, they would record the music live and then put the vocals over afterwards, whatever. You could hear the space, you know, it's not all like created in the computer. You hear the space of the, of the room, you know. It's making it all more distinct, which I think people will grow to appreciate it, you know, more and more as we get away from that, you know? Like, uh, so I think, you know, is it, I don't, will will it become so unusual? Like, uh, Big Band was still, like, around, like, Sinatra was still around in 65 uh, when they he were... Yeah,
1: some big hits in
2: 65. Yeah, but, but where the, the kids were moving away from that, yeah. that style, and then by the... 70s and 80s so i don't know will rock go the way of that kind of you know easy listening music to the next generation i don't know
1: well even if it does uh you know uh it had a you know a 45 50 year run uh, yeah. any way you look at it uh, if you look at it from 55 uh, even if you were to say that the last great uh uh rock m- movement uh, genre would Maybe be uh, grunge, uh Well it's in the, the strokes the, in the and the 90s. white
2: stripes or,
1: or okay, go even further into two thousand. Now you're fifty plus years. So that's a, that's a long time for for an art movement. Uh, I do think that it's a new story uh being told today, uh that's different. I think the the sounds of that music are uh, intentionally, w- one of the twentieth century of an industrial sound uh, at its peak, uh, more so than maybe an information uh, age uh, sound uh, that uh, that we we see a little bit more today. I think how people uh, digest music, which was uh, uh, in a very social uh, environment, uh, whether at home or. Uh, out on, uh, out, out, out in a, in a show is different from, uh, from today. It's more of a personal, uh, experience. It's, a, it's about, you know, at home it's, it's, it's with the white earbuds, you know, at, at the show, it's about you and your camera proving that you, you are experiencing yeah. this thing. So it's a, it's a, it's a different sort of, 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 of feel, uh, out there. So it's a, it's a bit of a different story. Um, you know, I think the, the music that we were talking about today, um, you know was what informed the culture and uh, the culture informed that music was a feedback loop uh that we can prove over and over uh again it 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 really did uh make a difference in those lives i think there are other things today and and maybe it's uh, just uh, through fragmentation um and maybe it's uh through the availability and the on demand availability of so many other things it's it's hard to Kind of have a, a singular type of you know water cooler moment for an entire culture. Yeah, they had three uh, networks back then. Only you know? three. Yeah, yeah. And so. whatever,
2: if you can get on those, then you had a giant audience. Right,
1: right, right. So um, you kind of let the cat out of the bag. But I think you're you're writing a follow up to to 1965. Uh, is that true?
2: Yeah, uh, uh, working on a 1973 right now, which uh, kind of. Um, if you look at uh this being the year that the explosion ignited, it's kind of that's the year, okay, the dust is settling here. We just woke up from this crazy dream what's going on now, you know
1: yeah, what's next? yeah, yeah. how far how far into it are you?
2: um it's all uh mapped out but and uh written but in a very uh sloppy way, so I need to uh polish it up and get it get it to the publishers so they can get it out in time, hopefully by next. Uh, 2019 holidays. so you'll so, have
1: it out next year about this time if i
2: if i get my uh i've got the hellhounds on my trail right now you know like if i get it uh, get it done quick enough here
1: so. can i hazard a guess who your superstar will be sure david R- bowie yeah
2: he's definitely <laughs> he's, he's aladdin sane yeah. yeah pinups pinups is actually interesting it, that's got a lot of 60 he, his yeah, second uh, album. Yeah, yeah
1: yeah it's a cover album yeah uh, yeah sure. pretty crazy yeah, yeah. Well, we look forward to uh, to catching that uh, and then talking to you about uh, uh, 1973 as another revolutionary year in music. Oh, thank you. I look
2: forward to it, too.
1: Andrew Grant ja- Jackson, thanks so much for being with us uh, today on Deeper Digs Rock.
2: Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great.
1: Well, there you have it. Author Andrew Grant Jackson has made a compelling case that 1965 was the most revolutionary year in music. Hey, we do not necessarily disagree. Uh, Like ourselves, Andrew is looking at societal, political, and technological changes. 1965 is a crossroads point in the latter half of the 20th century, and unlike 1968, in a very good way. It seemed America was growing as the most dominant culture at the time and were including more of our people into the fabric we were selling to the rest of the world. The new frontier was still alive and well. It should have just been a start. Uh, But if you are a fan of our Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast, well, you know by 1968 things begin to turn bleaker. Not that there isn't a lot of great rock and roll ahead and a lot of great years for the music, but certainly 1965 was special, and we will probably never see a year in music like it again. Trust me, many of the songs released from that year are still staples in music and will be with us forever. I'm Christian Swain, and this has been Deeper Digs and Rock, produced by Pantheon Podcasts. Okay, keep up the rockin'. Oh, hey, Keith, prove my last point about songs being staples forever.
0: Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information.